Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode contains discussion around suicide. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, Alarmy. Check out Alarmist on Patreon for ad-free episodes and bonus content. Here's a preview of our Guest Alarmist series, only on Patreon. That really? He's the inventor of the flush toilet. Yeah, John Crapper. No, yeah. you're kidding. She's yeah. kidding. I'm, no, I'm no I'm serious. I'm not John joking. Crapper is the yeah, inventor of the flush toilet? John yeah. Crapper, Thomas. He Stop. was... Um... Oh, that's why crap is crap? Yeah. Go to patreon.com slash the alarmist and subscribe today. Now, on to our episode. Each week, we decide who's to blame for a historical tragedy. And each week, you tell us if we got it right. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith, and this is The Aftermath. The Aftermath. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this episode of The Aftermath. Today, we're speaking with guest expert Dr. Arjun Rama. Dr. Rama is a private practice psychiatrist in Madison, Wisconsin. He is affiliated with the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and has written the article, A Modern Tragedy from a Mental Health Perspective, about Kurt Cobain. Let's hear what he has to say about the death of the Nirvana frontman. Dr. Rama, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. So can you start off by giving us uh, a brief overview of Kurt Cobain's upbringing? What was his childhood like? How did his parents' uh, divorce affect him? Sure, sure. So I feel like to situate Kurt Cobain, you have to start a little bit with geography. Um, so, mm. you know, we talk about the Seattle sound and Seattle, Washington, and, and that's so much of his story. But Kurt was actually uh, raised in Aberdeen, Washington, which is about an hour and a half to two hours away 
And it's significant because, you know, this was the 70s and 80s. This is a pre-internet time in a lot of ways. You know, you could be, it's as much as being like on another planet relative to the cultural experience of Seattle. And so going from quite, you know, liberal in Seattle to uh, quite conservative where he was from. Um, and it was about as far as you'd imagine a artistically bright boy to be coming from because the main industry uh, was logging. It was very much a, uh, a blue collar middle class town and was actually really struggling at the time that he was coming up. So Kurt wasn't necessarily from means, but his early development, uh, as I read about it and understand it, is that this was a loved child. I mean, he he was raised by two parents who cared about him. Um, his initial appearance on the scene, I think he was the, yes, he was the firstborn. So it was like that new kid ex excitement that a family has, uh, first child excitement. And the thing about him that was explosive right away was this was an artistically brilliant young person. Um, the sense that people had, you know, and, and what we know him about is music. But my God, he was a visual artist first. And I mean, this, I encourage our listeners to listen or to, to look up online drawings that he did as a child. You'll be astounded at what he was doing at age two, three, four. Um, so really precocious that way, but also engaging in singing and uh, playing the guitar a little bit and definitely playing the drums. He was like a, you know, banging on pots and pans kind of kid. <laughs> um, so well-loved, excitable. I think to the point where in there was concerns about ADHD for him and he was treated for that early unsuccessfully like a lot of kids were in the 70s before we got better treatments, better diagnosis and, and management. But apart from that, it was really, it seemed to me based on reading the biographies about him that it was quite positive until, as you mentioned, Rebecca, like this, this divorce at age nine. And his biographer, uh, Michael Azarad, his excellent, excellent book, Come As You Are, uh, he says, you know, that was where it seemed like uh, a light went out for him. And then I think something began at the beginning of adolescence for him that was quite different, where he became withdrawn. Um, he was upset that his parents, not only that they split, but that they partnered up with people that um, he also didn't like. Uh, and uh, in many ways begins a more sullen period that overlaps with his adolescence, where so many people have a sullen period anyways. Uh, oh. I think it was compounded by this divorce. He becomes defiant, hard to handle, um, to the point where he, he kind of gets shuttled between parents and, and even as a teenager at times lives uh, either near homeless or actually homeless, uh, couch surfing with uh, uh, friends and family. And I think it brings up a big theme for him in his life that was, you know, feeling ashamed of this divorce and ashamed of his circumstances. So that's kind of an overview, roughly, you know, of, of his development. But there's so much more detail, of course. Of course. Yeah. But at what point then do we see that his um, we see his substance abuse begin? Um, and in your experience as a psychiatrist, uh, where do many of these substance abuse issues stem from? You know, I, it was very typical in some ways. He started smoking uh, marijuana at age 13. Uh, it seems like it continued throughout his adolescence, which is a really tough time because the brain is doing so much development. And in mm -hmm. fact, at some point, uh, he remarks in an interview, he said, you know, all this 
people told us it was so harmless marijuana, um, especially coming out of the 60s. But uh, he attributed sometimes feeling like he didn't have a good memory as a result of it, um, that his short term memory was bad. And I that's consistent, actually, with uh, significant young cannabis use. And I think from what I understand, it was pretty high volume, although that's hard to verify. But apart from that, uh, it seems like he was uh, certainly a trier of drugs and he was trying um, hallucinogens like LSD um, quite early as well. So it's so I think that there could have been significant changes as a result of that. Um, and and your question about where did these things come from? That's a really hard one. So I would say, you know, I like to break things down. Uh, and this is what psychiatrists tend to do, which is, you know, the biologic underpinnings, the social and psychological underpinnings. Biologically, there was definitely some substance use, meaning genetically, uh, other folks in his family were using drugs or rather had had used and and had been alcohol dependent in some of his, um, uh, I think maybe grandparents, but there were other primary, you know, there are other family members. Um, but then I think that when you look at the way that he was trying to experience, and this is the social psychological elements of it, I think he was trying to get away from the shame of this divorce, feeling misunderstood or poorly understood. He was a very physically small person in a place where, oh, very, he was um, uh, definitely, I think maybe less than or around five, seven, less than that, but very, also very a petite person in a place where uh, physical prowess, you know, athletic ability was really valued. The main industry was a very physical industry, which is what logging is. And so I suspect that he was trying to anesthetize and get himself away from these feelings and his social environment, which is, that's not unusual either. And so Kurt turns to music um, as a teenager. Uh, he starts multiple bands, eventually fun, uh, founds uh, Nirvana with a fellow yeah. high schooler, um, it, Chris Novoselic. Um, and, and in many ways, music was Kurt's lifeline, but also, as we learn later on, it was a major contributing factor to his his problems. So good and and bad, all of it. How, how did the rock and roll lifestyle put um, put a strain on on Kurt's obstacles as his rise in fame happened? Well, so two things. Um, and I want to preface this by saying, you know, I, I know about Kurt Cobain from reading about him, but I obviously I, I never knew him. And so much of good psychiatry is do you know the patient or the person in front of you? So I'm going to comment about this based on what I know. Um, and coming back to the idea about um, music, maybe as something that's helpful or music as something that's harmful, I'm going to push back on the idea that it was harmful. I think rock and roll music saved Kurt Cobain. Um, I don't think we would have had him as long as we did. Uh, mm. This was a lifeline for him to get out of a situation where he felt stalted, you know, limited, uh, Chris Novoselic uh, was somebody who was also a music enthusiast, so he had the kind of brother in this way, and they were like a brothers throughout his life. Um, and Kurt had been uh, had made some uh, suicide attempts, uh, had suicidal thinking all through his teens. I don't know if he would have gotten through high school without music. Then to come to the idea or the or about the rock and roll lifestyle. Nirvana was not a rock and roll lifestyle band. They were kind of anti, like they were pushing back against like the hair metal bands that were, you know, uh, excited about excess and 
I mean, you know, they were punks at core. And so they were smashing instruments. They were destroying hotel rooms. <laughs> they were doing the punk stuff. But, you know, Kurt was a ardent feminist. So there were not, um, there weren't, you know, women hanging around um, post uh, shows. It was none of this kind of Def Leppard, uh, like uh, poison kind of style of rock music. <laughs> um, but I will say one aspect of being a wealthy musician, and he was only wealthy for the last two and a half years of his life, he was impoverished most of his life, is that I think it did give him some access to drugs. And I think that the access to drugs was significant because uh, heroin being more expensive and difficult to obtain. Now he had people who wanted to, um, in order to get in with him because he was so influential that that perhaps in that way we could look at it as a rock and roll lifestyle um, mm. that caused uh, more problems for him. But I want to say to your listeners, you know, and everybody, I, I think rock music kept him alive uh, for much longer than we would have him. You touched on this a little bit earlier, yeah. but um, in, in an interview, there's um, his fellow band member, Chris, describes Kurt um, as, as being very sensitive uh, to feeling embarrassed, right? Yes. Very con Obviously, all of us, nobody wants to be embarrassed. Yes. Um, but to him, it felt like this was on a different level and it would manifest into anger. Uh, what is this? Is there a connection between shame and anger? And how can you see it manifest in in, in Kurt and his um, life? So, you know, I, I'll take it like this. Um, there are so many theories about the way that shame manifests, but I'm a psychoanalyst. So I like to look at, you know, what can the ego do, the self manage? Mm. And I think that some people become ashamed and they're able or they've got ways of managing it that um, could be perhaps less harmful and less problematic. Um, but I think for Kurt, the way that his psyche was arranged based probably on development and uh, constitutional factors, inheritance and all that, um, I do think it came out as intense anger. Um, not so much in terms of the, the smashing of instruments and things like that, not in ways that I think were... Uh, you know, really obvious. But I think that sometimes um, it led him to do things that would be kind of withholding. He would he would get um, even withholding of the audience. Um, if he was playing in a place where he felt he wasn't understood, um, there was one large show they did in South America where um, uh, he felt uh, he they had the the crowd was humiliating the opening act that they'd had, which was an all female act. And as a feminist, he was really hurt by it. And I believe that that was the show where you know he would uh, uh, they played terribly, kind of on purpose. Uh, they wouldn't play Smells Like Teen Spirit. Um, so there were these ways in which uh, his feeling ashamed about um, his the people's perceptions of him that would come out in mm -hmm. kind of passive aggressive ways um but you know I, I i hope i'm answering that question it's a little bit broad but everybody i think uh, handles shame differently and i think it depends a lot on their makeup but for kurt i think it was either anger that goes outwards and then often also anger uh that goes inwards too now he and his wife um 
Courtney Love uh, were were said to have this very tumultuous relationship, um, and she she's even a she was a self proclaimed junkie at the time. Um, how how could this relationship have contributed to his harmful cycle? So you know, again, I think coming from a psychoanalytic perspective on on how people function, I think that the real difficulties that got Kurt into trouble happened much earlier that before way oh. way before he met his wife um this would be the stuff we were talking about humiliation at the divorce difficulty in social circumstances not feeling unsupported feeling cast out in high school just like how i don't think rock and roll killed um kurt i don't think that his wife did either in fact i think and uh, this is uh, something that Francis Bean Copain uh, mentions in an interview somewhere, I think they were really in love with each other. And I think that they were um, a good fit in some ways, but also they both had a sincere and severe drug problem. So they were both enabling also. Um, so I would say that it was tumultuous. I think it was artistically supportive. Uh, the lyrics and complexity of Nirvana's uh, In Utero album, I think that that was supported by the fact that he had an artist with him uh, who was encouraging him to do things more elaborately. Um, however, I do think that they were, especially in uh, 1992, and which is right after uh, Nirvana's Nevermind comes out, uh, they were doing a lot of drugs. And I think that it was also... Uh, a way to uh, escape from him trying to manage his career. But uh, mm. so it's a mixed bag with his wife, I think. Yes. And, and she obviously took a lot of the blame when uh, around the time of his death. Um, and, you And I feel like you were all, already um, speaking to this. Yes. Um, but uh, there are, are there situations where this kind of, relationship could actually help uh it could have helped him turn his life or is there a version of of his life where courtney comes in and uh things take a turn for the uh for the better well you know let me back up for a second too because i think this i think the period of time is really important um yeah i think a lot of the bashing of his wife uh was 90s era sexism uh that i think mirrors 1970s era sexism that happened with uh, Yoko Ono and John Lennon. There's, I think, a myth a myth of the male creative genius uh, that is being um, taken over or sucked dry, you know, by some kind of witch figure. I think that happened to Yoko, and I think that happens to Courtney also. Um, and also, the thing is, is that people, to answer your second question about this, uh, not only are the women in these relationships viewed as like witches when they're bad, they're supposed to also be saviors on the other side, which mm. is, uh, I don't think that there was much that Yoko was going to do to preserve the Beatles. And similarly, I don't think there was much Courtney was going to do to preserve Kurt Cobain and Nirvana. Um, like I said, my sense of people's psychopathology and problems, he was running into problems way before he met her. Uh, and it's well-documented suicide attempts, suicide thoughts, drugs, everything. So I don't think that there's a world where where Courtney Love could have done something that would have um, turned the tide on this problem. He was cruising for a disaster uh, 
for a very long time. Mm. Even for a young person. Yeah. He was only 27. And I think he was sick yeah. for a very long time, actually. Wow. Now, it just 12 days before his death, yeah. authorities um, are called to Kurt's home and they had multiple guns confiscated. Yes. Um, is, is there more that the authorities could have done to prevent him from still gaining access to um, a shotgun, which he, he later uses? Yeah. Um, uh, and, and what are the protocols or, or measures taken in these circumstances? It's very state by state. Um, but okay. a first thing I'll say is, you know, I praise the idea or the fact that guns were confiscated because that's the way that men commit suicide is with guns. However, Kurt's a smart guy. The way that he got his gun was he just asked his friend to go buy it for him. That it was that simple. So Kurt Cobain actually did not buy the gun. His friend uh, Dylan Carlson bought it for him. Um, and the thing about that is that speaks to the gun problem we have broadly in this country. It shouldn't be so easy to get guns. And it doesn't, you know, the fact that there are lists and there are waiting periods, and that's all good. But if we just didn't have access to shotguns or really any guns as easily as we do, we wouldn't have the number of suicides that we have. And I'm not even saying cutting it down to zero. If, we, if it just wasn't so damn easy uh, to mm. get them, you'd, you could make movement on those numbers. So um, I think that that isn't an exact protocol or measure. It's just that if we had less guns available, we'd have less suicides. And I, I don't think anyone would disagree with that. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact 
you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. In the days before his death, uh, Kurt's friends say that they staged an intervention to get him into treatment. Yeah. Um, obviously, this doesn't work. Um, but how fragile can these interventions be? How fraught are they? And, and why do you think this one in particular didn't work at that time? You know, I admire uh, people who do these interventions because I think it really is an attempt to do the right thing. Um, the fact that it didn't work probably has more to do with the thing, with the issue that these were deep psychic, psychological issues uh the you know the train was already out of the station by this point um kurt had already uh, attempted suicide when uh, nirvana was in europe at this point uh the thing is is that perhaps this could have been more helpful but it was not well reported or maybe not reported at all i don't think that his uh suicide attempt in rome italy just beforehand was an attempt it wasn't an overdose I wonder if people might have been more aggressive with him at that time, because mm. the the period of time after a person attempts suicide is so dangerous. He was so at risk and and probably or no, certainly should have been uh, hospitalized psychiatrically. But he was managed uh, for a combination of benzodiazepine and alcohol overdose. And the thing is, some of this, I think, speaks to the fact that people didn't want to believe just how ill he was. There was many incentives. And I think some and those people at that intervention, uh, to my mind, were really well-meaning. I mean, they wanted him to do well. Uh, so I wonder if the intervention was kind of doomed because he was already in such bad shape by that point. Now, in, in our episode, we discussed the the 27 Club, um, yeah. which is the, the age that... Um, that raise uh, you know uh, many rock stars yeah. uh, and and artists have have passed um what is it about this age that raises the possibility of a tragedy like this or or do you think it's just a coincidence you know i the the part of me that is kind of likes to romanticize things i wish it was something special i don't think it is i think it's just mm -hmm. i think it's a coincidence um these are often people who have met with a certain level of intense success because i think about you know hendrix morrison all these people they're they're not new to being um or it's not you know just two seconds ago that they became famous but i if we're being scientific about it there's nothing special about that number it is a weird coincidence though i i can't i can yeah. see why people are i can see why people are fascinated <laughs> by it I, I i wish i could say that there was something special about it and then that would be helpful for other people but no i i think it's a total coincidence so it's not like a developmental, I guess it's, it's your, or, or something about um, the stress of 20s. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I'm trying to make things up. No, you know? I, I, I think you're, you know, I, I think you're on the right track to at least, let, let's put it this way. Um, you know, early adulthood, which I would still consider, I would say young adulthood. I, you know, I would still consider a 27 year old young adult. It's still tumultuous. You know, we've learned so much about the way the brain is really developing deep into our 20s. 
So the the tragedy of the 27 Club is I do, I always wonder, I'm like, well, you know, if if there'd been an intervention, what would it have been like if he'd had a little bit more time to develop? What would he have been like at 37? Um, and often we find that people, you know, who can live a little longer, uh, have a chance to get some treatment under their belt, you know, we may not be in this position. So yeah, it's a tragedy, but I think it's a coincidence. Mm. Now, I, I read that the suicide hotlines almost doubled with callers at the time of Kurt Cobain's death. Um, how, how did his death impact his fans and in terms of mental health? Yeah. Um, what what have we learned or, or grown uh, as a society after this tragedy? Well, I'll I'll use myself for this. Um, so I at the time I was 12 years old uh, when Kurt Cobain died. And I was just like every other 12-year-old, 13-year-old. I was watching MTV. And then uh, Kurt Loder comes on. I, by the way, I don't know how old you are if you remember this era. But Kurt Loder comes on TV and he tells, you know, kids, like, you know, your favorite musician just uh, committed suicide with a shotgun. It was really, it was one of those times where you suddenly realize um, that life itself is much more fragile and that uh, for me, my sense about people's who had people who had psychological problems, they were people who were homeless on the street, hallucinating, psychotic. I couldn't believe that a person who, in my my opinion, I mean, he had it all, and you know, he had the both artistic and commercial attention that every artist wants. He was still young when he had it. So I think for people from my generation who took this in, it was a sense of um, these things can happen to anybody and that we are all vulnerable. I think it opened up a conversation about mental health. I talked to my parents that night uh, about this situation and even my dad, who I didn't think would know much to say about this. He said, you know, thoughts about suicide, you know, it's more common than you think. People do think about these things. And that was kind of eye-opening to me. I just thought as a kid, I, I thought that only extremely obviously sick people would do things like this, you know, but then you watch a person who, you know, for many, on many measures had it all. It was, I think, a eye-opening thing. I can tell that we're in a much different era right now, where we have people like Simone Biles taking a couple years off for mental health concerns and and trying to trying to take that into consideration even if it's bad for your career. So I I wouldn't say that there's a direct line between what's happening in 2024 and what happened back in 1994, but I think I think that it opened up the conversation for people because it was so big when it happened. I feel like it's important for um us to kind of know know um what to do in in moments of crisis yeah. um what would you as as a professional recommend um i guess both sides number if you're you feel like you're going through you're experiencing this kind of moment or if you feel like a loved one um might be so i think that taking approaching it without hesitation I wonder about that with Kurt. I think that people were like, well, should we address this head on? Is it bad for his career? Is it bad? Is it going to be even further humiliating for him? Talking about suicide, using the word suicide doesn't make people 
kill themselves. You know, there's a lot of, there's a sense of like, oh, if we don't, if we, if we hit the nail on the head, it's going to be too intense. If anything, if you feel like your friend is talking about things that make you concerned, you can address it directly with them if you feel comfortable. Uh, and I, we have the 988, uh, which is the new emergency number for it, uh, calling that to get assistance. I think about this, like, don't let this problem happen alone. If you don't feel comfortable addressing a friend, call somebody who and be direct with them. Even if you're even if you're going to be telling them details that you wonder, gee, they're going to be upset to know that I talked to somebody about your suicidal discussion. Or, but the thing is, th this is how we lose people is usually in secrecy yeah. like that. So then if it's the person who themselves is experiencing it, please call 988. Do that right away. And, if, and also, if that's not your thing, tell somebody. Tell, tell as many people as you feel like you can manage because it, your life is quite literally on the line. There's, you know, there's not a lot that I really hate in the whole world, but I really hate suicide because I can't help. I, we can do a lot for people psychiatrically mm. and people can lose so much. Everything, But the thing we cannot do, we cannot manage a person after they kill themselves. I know that sounds so obvious, but that's the thing. It bothers me. And, and I think that this situation. Um, we're talking about Kurt Cobain today, but he's a good example of where I think uh, more and, and maybe with greater interventions, we wouldn't even be having this conversation, which would be nice. Yeah. So we ask all of our guest experts the same question. Sure. Um, I'm, I'm curious what you'll say. Uh, at the end of the day, if you had to pick a person or thing, it could be a concept that you think is to blame for the death of Kurt Cobain, who or what would that be? It, it's an easy one, and it it's not it's not as specific as perhaps people would like, but it's broader. It's shame. Mm. Really think it was shame. Um, he and so many people came to a situation in life with biological predispositions, psychological situations, social situations, but it was. It was a difficulty in managing and tolerating the shame and perhaps even impending shame that was coming to him. So some of the details at the end for him was um, things were getting very complex for Nirvana. Uh, he was concerned about uh, actually a possible lawsuit um, related to the concept for the hard shaped box video. Uh, and he he was because he was only wealthy for a couple of years. Most of his life, he had nothing. And so he was worried about being sued for everything. Um, it seems like he was also concerned of whether his marriage was going to continue and that there, if there was going to be having more problems. Um, and then he was also feeling like he was never, uh, there was a certain hopelessness about ever escaping heroin addiction. He tried really, mm -hmm. really hard. And he wrote really desperately about it in his uh, journals, but it was like a sense of, am I ever going to get away from this? Now, all those problems we can work with, but I think that there was an in internal sense of being so humiliated by what had already happened and then a sense of new humiliations into the future that I think his ego, his self, it could not manage it. And, and in that way, it's not so much that this is why I push back at the idea about partners should have been doing more or rock and roll was the problem or fame was the problem or money was the problem because we know so many people out there who have all those things and stressors and they manage it. So, but I think for this man and for so many people, it was shame. That's uh, at the end of the day, that was the big problem.
Dr. Rama, thank you so much for uh, speaking with us today. Thank you for having me. It was great. We're going to head over to Patreon now and discuss further. So we invite our listeners to come. If you'd like to hear our post-interview discussion and final verdict, head over to Patreon and subscribe. Your support is greatly appreciated. Check out our show notes for a link or head over to patreon.com slash The Alarmist. And stay tuned because next week we'll be discussing the Mary Kay Letourneau case. The Alarmist. Powered by ACAST. If you or someone you know is struggling with suicidal thoughts, there's help. Call the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline at 988. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.